Hi everyone, this is Eugene, and Paul and I recorded this episode a day or so before our fundraiser went live for season three of the Divided Families podcast. And so if I'm being completely honest, I didn't think that we would reach our goal of $500, uh, much less before, you know, posting this episode, but for a couple of weeks, if uh, if we ever really reached it. And so it honestly really blows my mind that we were able to exceed our goal in something like a day or two. And I think I speak for both Paul and myself when I say that it has made my heart feel very, very full. And I know that sounds cliche, but I don't think I've ever even actually used that phrase before. Um, but, you know, it's the first time that I've felt so much support for a personal project that we've been working on. And so, yeah, my heart feels very full to know that there are not only listeners out there, but also people who believe enough in our in our project to help us um, out and push us forward. And so as Paul and I already talked about in this episode, thank you also to our team members who consistently put in time to help build this project. And I think as a collective that we um, all definitely hope to deliver to you the best season three that we can in a timely manner. So uh, yeah, and on a final note, I think we could still use some support for as long as the fundraiser is open. The link is in the description and all costs will go directly to the podcast. So um, it just means, you know, we've already exceeded our goal, but it would just mean that we don't have to fundraise for longer. And uh, otherwise, if you are unable to donate, we would really appreciate just a rate on Apple Podcasts and a subscription wherever you get your podcasts, just so you have notifications for when we return. So uh, enough of that. And I'll repeat everything again in this episode. But um, thank you again to, and I'm just going to list the names. I have them pulled up right here. Liat Quitsia. Sorry if I didn't pronounce that correctly. Uh, Pauly, which apparently is not our Pauly, surprisingly. Uh, Kyle two anonymous, Anish, another anonymous person, and then uh, Ray, Aaron, Eugene, and Esther. Thank you so, so much, everybody, for um, just, yeah, just thank you so much for donating. And we would um, love to take any suggestions for season three. If you have any, feel free to email us uh, at dividedpanelyspodcast at gmail.com or send us any messages on social media. We definitely, uh, not just the people who donated, obviously, but everybody else who is listening, feel free to send us any suggestions. And yeah, without further ado, here is myself and Paul and happy 2022. Welcome back to the Divided Families Podcast. This is Eugene with the one and only Paul Lee. Hey, hey. <laughs> and this is, yeah, we were just talking before we hit record that it's been not only a long time since we've recorded, but also it's been two entire years. You kept repeating two years. <laughs> um, and I think that this is going to be just an interesting episode to not only talk about the future of the podcast and the fundraiser that we just launched, if you've seen it. Um, if you haven't, it'll be in our description. But yeah, it'll be reflecting on the future of Divided Families podcast and also looking back. And before we get into that, I thought that, you know, it's been a long time since I've spoken to Paul, actually. Uh, and just like I said in our pilot episode two years ago, um, we are, I mean, we're good friends, but like we don't, you know, keep in touch every day or anything. So it's been a while. Um, and so I thought that, you know, before we go into the Divided Families podcast focus stuff that we would just start out with a little bit of an icebreaker kind of question. So I would um, just wanted to ask Paul, where are you in life right now? 
and we use this during one of our team meetings too but um the question is kind of where are you in life both physically and mentally or emotionally and i think that that that's been one of my favorite questions in terms of icebreakers so yeah where are you in life right now how is it different from 2020 when we started it still feels like 2020 so yeah that's so real Oh man, I, yeah, 2022. Yeah, it seems like a lot has happened and changed, but actually I'm just in the same place physically as we probably were two <laughs> years ago. Yeah, I'm and, in the exact same spot. Literally the same chair and desk. Yeah, and yeah. And I, I guess, yeah, we're still, uh, I guess DC just put a mask mandate back. I guess two years ago we didn't have vaccines, but... Uh, Got my booster recently. So I guess physically, not that much has changed. Like, uh, I, I think it still feels like COVID. I, I feel like I've gotten I've gotten tested four times in the past three days. Again, I'm finding myself about to board a, a flight to Korea, which <laughs> has been like... Yeah, our, every, time uh, we, every time we do these, tradition. it's... Uh, yeah. Yeah, every time we do these, you're on your way to be reunited with your family. And we make that joke every year. Yeah, something that happens once a year. But I think it it does feel like I'm in a different phase of my life. I'm sure it's been like that for you uh, with law school, like before and after law school. So I'm curious to hear about you. But I feel like for me, I've been gradually kind of cutting back or uh, letting go and trying to do less like trying to do more by doing less, which is <laughs> doesn't really make sense. But um, I, I realized I had way too many commitments, professionally, personally, volunteer things I was doing. And I've been, I guess, I've just been making more of a conscious effort to be mindful of what I can do, what I can take on. So I think that's where I am right now going into 2022, because just because I, I feel like I have time for something, like my calendar looks open, doesn't necessarily mean that I have the capacity or, or bandwidth, as people love to say these days, uh, to fill that time up. So that's where I am mentally and emotionally, I, I think. Well, what about you? I mean, you just feel, you just finished uh, finals of the second year of law school. Yeah, so just like, you must be I think tired. last year when we recorded this, I was a little bit... Uh fried from my first semester ever of law school finals and when we were doing our recap i just felt like it was an out-of-body experience where i was so tired yeah um, the hyperbolic time this chamber. year <laughs> yeah this year is a lot this year is a lot better where um i mean you start to get the hang of it and also it's not no longer as scary as before but um before i go into my side of the question i was going to say just to clarify for listen you don't have to you don't have to go through every single thing that is on that was on your plate that um, made you want to step back a little bit, but I was just wondering if you could kind of give any examples of things that you were working on or things that you filled your calendar with. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, besides my full-time job, um, I was leading this organization, uh, Divided Families USA. I think many pe- many listeners mm-hmm. already know on trying to reunite Korean American divided families, and I think the first half of this year I was managing this separate team of volunteers for advocacy, uh, for our registry, and for to work on a storytelling project and i think it got to a point where that became difficult to manage especially because everyone is doing it on their uh, on their free time or as a volunteer so things like that things like you know even things that are 
thing the more the more important things are to you the more difficult it is to uh, not do them or to, to let them go. Like um, I've been doing less guiding, uh, running with the visually impaired uh, athletes and community in DC to working on these uh, China-Taiwan uh, youth workshops called Straight Talk uh, that I was helping out for the past few years. So those are some examples of things I was doing. Plus, plus DFP, of course, which, you know, as you know, I've, I've definitely cut back on um, at least past few months mm -hmm. and uh, you're also part of an orchestra right where you met one of our law school professors yeah, yeah. <laughs> the that was the most too. random thing last year yeah <laughs> he was like yeah this person teaches at your school and i'm like that person that professor is really famous <laughs> like why are you in the same orchestra yeah in another um, life we need to have a uh, a lee clan two cellos uh <laughs> yeah there are a lot of good back. cello uh yeah there are lots of really good cello duets but i haven't played since like high school so <laughs> probably can't really anymore um and I, oh and then i guess my last follow-up question uh for that was have you always kind of done a lot of these extra i don't want to say like extracurriculars but i guess like extra things beyond what you normally kind of had ha, quote unquote have to do your job um is that kind of like always been part of your life or is it like after college you decided to kind of go more into that because i feel like after college most people start cutting back naturally like like me, I don't play cello anymore, for example, right? Like that kind of thing. Um, so I guess like, how did you kind of make a conscious effort to do those things? And then at what point did you realize like, I need to not <laughs> take on as much? Yeah, that is interesting though, because I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. I'm like, you know, I tell people I play cello and they're like, you know, of course the Asian, uh, Asian mom yeah. and violin, cello, piano. And I think a large part of why I felt like I needed to fill up my time with all these activities was because I think I was educated and raised since I was young to like make the most out of my free time and what my family has invested in me and what I've invested in myself as well. And mm -hmm. that just stopping those activities would kind of be a waste of that investment and time and energy i think i lessons. wasted that investment no 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 <laughs> classical music but um, i i think i've realized when you ask what the turning point is it's like you know not that you should only do things that bring you like the marie kondo sparking, sparking joy, joy. <laughs> <laughs> but i i i don't on the flip side i don't think you should just do things um if they bring you misery and suffering <laughs> so uh, yeah i'm that's just a reflection on where I've been, I think. I think that's a good transition into, I guess, like my side of this question, because when I was recording, so I'm back in Washington in Seattle, in the Seattle area for um, the holidays. And this is where I was when I recorded the first pilot with you. And this is also um, where I was during like the COVID time where I was just not really doing anything. And I was waiting for law school to start. And I had days and days of time basically i did a little bit of uh, a lot of small kind of side jobs but um, i had a lot of time and i think that in terms of sparking joy um yeah because like with with mary kondo's philosophy it's not really about don't do a lot it's just like or like don't have a lot of things if all of those things kind of give you joy and you have like multiple closets full of stuff i think i I don't know. I'm not, I didn't really watch all the Mary Kondos. <laughs> Forgive me if this is wrong, but my understanding was that you could have like multiple closets worth of stuff or multiple, you know, like multiple calendars full of uh, things that you wanted to participate in. But if all of those things kind of spark joy, then it's fine. Like it's not about quantity. Uh, yeah, it's not about quantity, I guess. Um, so 
for me, like now that I have been in law school and it's been kind of an all consuming thing. And I don't, I mean, that's, that's a topic that a lot of law students, my friends and I like to discuss in terms of, should it be all consuming? Should we always be doing law related things? And I think when you're in that kind of intense academic environment that um, you start to kind of think back to things that did give you like things that do spark joy that you did, even though um, you didn't technically have to do anything during that time. So at least for me, like during each break, when I come home, well, each break, it's been like two times so far, but, um, or yeah, two or three times. But in terms of breaks, when the academic grind kind of stops and you have more time and kind of headspace to think about other things, it's been nice to remember like, okay, I have all this time now. I wake up and I like tomorrow I'm going to wake up and I'm on break and I'm not going to have anything planned necessarily. It's like, how do you kind of fill that space and why do you want to do that particular project? Like that kind of, uh, existential kind of thinking is what I usually have during these times. Because like, what if, and this is kind of the question, right? Like, what if you didn't have to work your job? Like, what would you do? Um, that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, in terms of like, how, how have things changed since 2020? I mean, it's like a 180 in a sense, because I wasn't really, I didn't have to go to school or really work full time during the time that we started this podcast. And honestly, if I did work full time or go to school during that time, this never might have happened in the first place. Also, in some sense, like if COVID didn't happen, maybe I wouldn't have had as much time um, to do things. So and now that I have a lot more to do, um, it's been, yeah, thinking about like, I guess my headspace has been mostly in thinking about what is important, like, why is it important? And how do you kind of it's just a typical like growing up kind of thing like how do i balance this with my adult responsibility quote-unquote adult responsibilities so i guess it's the same thing as your um answer i guess maybe it's because we're both getting old (laughs) um but just yeah like balancing i guess from my experience it's like a little bit of the opposite of yours where you had already been doing a lot and then had to cut back whereas i entered into a academic kind of world where i would start doing a lot um so I don't know. Phys- physically, I'm in Seattle. Mentally, emotionally, I am uh, thinking about my life. <laughs> now that I have, like, it's it's a lot more quiet and less chaotic. And yeah, soul searching in that sense. Isn't that what we talked about in our pilot episode? Soul searching. Anyway, it, I don't know. Do if- you think you have more, as my follow-up question, do you think um, you feel like you have more clarity or direction now that you're you're halfway through? Uh, n- uh Yes and no, because I think that naturally you have to decide things like what kind of um, practice you want. And like, um, and also, I guess in terms of careers, like you've already narrowed it down to one. So uh, I, I could back out, but probably not, right? Like usually if you go to med school or law school or something, like you've already narrowed down your career choices into a specific profession. So in that sense, like I think that there is a little bit of freedom in that in terms of knowing, okay, this is, I've already chosen this. This is what I'm going to do. And then within the profession you have to like narrow your specialty and things like that so picking those things does give you more clarity i think but yeah i guess yes and no because there is that kind of clarity but i think there's also a little bit of the balancing question that we just discussed in terms of well like if i make this my main thing what will be my side thing what is the main what is the side um i think we might have talked about this in one of the episodes with um with glenn maury about choices in relation to adoption and that's a very different context but i guess recently for me i've been thinking a lot more about like choices like choices that you make while you're um moving forward in life and sometimes you make choices based on like what you think is the best practical decision and sometimes you make choices based on what is the best 
like what is the gut choice like what do you really you know i want to do this i don't know why but i want to do this and the other one is more of everybody would say this is a good thing to do and this is a good you know practical step um and how do you kind of balance those choices and also and then at the end of the day like what do those choices tell you about yourself that's kind of a thing so that's what's been on my mind so clarity yes i know <laughs> Maybe that's a law student answer. <laughs> yes and no. I don't know. It depends. <laughs> yeah, maybe we can talk about that at the at the end uh, with our Q and A question because that's definitely yeah. one of my. I don't know about discoveries, but uh, just point of reflection about decisions as it re- uh, relates to family separation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Do you have any other? I gave I gave you two follow ups, so you get one more if you have any. Otherwise, we can move into more businessy divided families podcast talk yeah yeah let's jump into it and i'll save my follow-up for <laughs> okay yeah for our, for our for later our uh, single volunteered question <laughs> um so for the i guess in terms of where we are now we've released 41 episodes which is kind of crazy to me too i mean i thought that we were going to end at like Four. 20 four yeah actually i think when we first started i said do you think we can get to 20 like that seems like a lot and then somehow we wake up today and there's 41 so um and obviously that's not because of us only we happen to get a lot of reinforcements along the way uh so but actually a lot of these episodes if you are um a long time listener you might have wondered at times like why are the episodes sometimes recorded way before they're actually published and so a lot of these episodes were published or recorded during the pandemic i guess in the beginning of 2020 obviously we just said i had a lot of time then so i did a lot of interviews myself um during that time and edited a lot of episodes and then we just started releasing them kind of um in a serialized fashion so that's why um we've been able to kind of keep up the pace for serialization because when I was in law school, some people would ask me, like, how do you do this and school? <laughs> and the answer is I didn't do any of this during school. Um, we had to kind of, you know, figure out what episode to post and how to make the album art and things like that. But I didn't really, like, record anything during um, school. So now we are at the at a turning point, in a sense, because we are out of episodes almost in our uh, episode bank so now we need to restock our inventory before we can kind of turn back to serialization and as some behind the scenes information for listeners we um, thought about like could we maintain this episode stream in terms of two a month um, going forward and realized we are not a we are not on being <laughs> like Krista Tippett we are not a production company so um, we thought that in terms of our mental health it'd be better to just shift gears so shift into production mode and then come back with serialization when we're uh, ready did you have any things to add about I just want to I just want to highlight the what is the opposite of procrastination just planning ahead grinding (laughs) opposite of procrastination skills because if it weren't for that bank of episodes yeah (laughs) we would have gone out of business a long time ago yeah well I don't even know if it's procrastinate like non-procrastination but it was just I had a lot of like time (laughs) and it was fulfilling to kind of go through and talk and meet with a lot of people that i would have wanted to kind of connect with so that was a huge bonus during the pandemic too but yeah i don't know we are so that this is going to be called season three we just put out a fundraiser which you can find in our description and also our social media pages and this will just be for funding primarily the editing costs and everything goes directly to the podcast but it'll help us produce faster i guess that we return um in a timely fashion and we don't just go on hiatus like 
what like game of thrones i don't know like <laughs> other very very long hiatuses um hunter hunter if you are into anime <laughs> um and yeah and then other than that if you can't um pitch in any money that's absolutely fine if you could just go through um, apple podcasts and give us a rating there um follow us on spotify apple and also just spreading word about the podcast by word of mouth that also helps so like comment and subscribe as they would say <laughs> all i have to add for that and yeah and you know in addition to spreading the word amplifying our voices and donating you know with uh, financially and helping us by providing resources like another way you can get involved and help us out is directly by donating your time um and oh yeah, i just true. want to give a huge shout out to our amazing team um and i guess we are all volunteers but uh we've had just this amazing team of editors of researchers of uh of transcribers um who have made it possible and uh, of of uh social media masterminds as well um who have i think taken dfp to another level that you know if it was just the two of us uh we would no it would be impossible yeah. <laughs> yeah, i look back, i look back ages. at my uh i look back at the early album art and it just looks like like a elementary school powerpoint presentation <laughs> i'm like this is it wasn't gonna last like that I didn't use Comic Sans, but it wasn't going to last. <laughs> yeah, so just, I mean, just on that note, it's um, just want to give a huge appreciation to everyone who has worked on the Divided Families podcast. You know, we always give the shout out to Flannel Albert uh, <laughs> for the music, but um, but those who have contributed regularly, right? Whether it's, you know, Miley, who um, I think our most recent episode was Miley's interview with uh, with Adam Krapser of Miley has always uh, been working on the social media and, and the website that launched as well and just making everything possible, keeping us in check. Yes. <laughs> um, but also, you know, uh, Catherine and uh, Maggie and Helen too now uh, with the actual editing um, and Liad and Mai Tong and Quentin and, uh, and Ho Kyung as well on the on the research side um, and coming up with these awesome great ideas. Yeah, yeah, and Yvonne as well. Uh, with the transcriptions, which I think were a huge plus in just making our episodes more accessible. Um, mm -hmm. And also for people who just don't have time or don't want to listen to us and prefer to <laughs> yeah. read us or, or read what we have to say or what our guests have to say. Um, I'm just so, so deeply appreciative. And I think I mentioned this on um, on one of our team calls, but I'm sure both of us had just too many Zoom calls than we could even count keep track of this past year but i honestly can say on live podcasting uh, on, <laughs> on the conversation that um you know i think the conversations the team calls with the divided families podcast team were always enjoyable um not just because we were debating whether you know pop tart is a ravioli or mushroom or no no a dumpling or ravioli or uh, something what like was that your, what was your take on that again <laughs> I don't know. I, I think the question just tripped me up. My brain just exploded. Um, but uh, maybe yeah, it is seeing, a ravioli. Just seeing the volunteers um, just so passionate about our project. I think, you know, if it was just the two of us because we are the co-founders, I think it's, it's one thing for us to keep it going. But to know that there are, you know, nine other people who are as or 
more dedicated to the mission, I think that's pretty inspiring. I think we can also safely say that if it weren't for our team members, I guess, I don't know if there would be a season three <laughs> moving forward. Yeah, but like, I think we could yeah, safely say that. Um, I think when we were kind of thinking like between the two of us, could we keep it going? Um, I think if it was just limited to us too, I don't know what the answer might have been. It might have been no, right? But um, with everybody else that um, has... Yeah, and like you said, all of the team meetings have been enjoyable, but they've also been like they're enjoyable in terms of being fun. But I think they're also very energizing in a sense in terms of uh, when you go back to whatever else that you had to do. Energizing, um, it was, yeah. That's rare for a Zoom call. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so much Zoom fatigue. But yeah, I think that it it was really energizing in terms of knowing that. Uh, I mean, we know that listeners care probably, but knowing that our team members care about the project and that they wanted to. Um, keep going and they also have their own interests and new episode ideas uh i think that that gives me at least a lot of hope in terms of oh like this is something that's worth you know continuing to do and to um continue telling stories about and listening uh speaking with other people about so yeah so thanks to the divided family podcast team So I guess transitioning into um, just kind of a closing remarks, I was wondering, we can just do our end of the year reflection um, on, I don't know if you have any New Year's resolutions, we can talk about that too. But uh, I was going to think about what has the Divided Families podcast meant to you? um, And how has that meaning kind of evolved over time? And I think we might have touched on that a little bit so far, but maybe just as a standalone question. And And if you have any thoughts on what you'd like to do in season three, maybe some sneak previews would be. Yeah, I think in terms of what DFP has meant to me, I think, I don't know, I think part of it is that now that we've had 41 episodes, we can kind of take a step back and see, I guess, pull more strands and like, uh, what's the word, extrapolate from a larger data set. The tapestry. Yeah, Yeah, the tapestry, (laughs) the mosaic. Um, But I think not that, not that I, I, I still very much value each individual story and episode but for me i think just seeing how the different episodes connect uh whether it's um the episode with uh with steve vito from the u.s um, holocaust museum uh to the smithsonian museum of uh, african-american history and culture on uh genealogy with with hollis gentry i think seeing these different strands connect across uh multiple different episodes i think makes it more meaningful for me of so looking at the project as a whole rather than just as these disparate parts and i i think i'm just growing to i I don't know i don't even know how to describe it but i think i i think we share it as well as a podcast that a couple months ago in october we found out that one of the guests that we had interviewed uh yuka fujikura uh, had passed away Mm -hmm. and it was a huge shock for me um, and not that I, I, I mean, I think she was in her nineties, uh, but so she was quite elderly. Um, but I, I think just that our episode with her is one of the only ways that people can now hear her voice and like hear her story and not that all 41 episodes we've recorded are, you know, elderly 
the no. people who are going to pass away soon. But uh, you, know, you never know. And I, I think mm-hmm. that was just a reminder to me of, I mean, it sounds so trite of the importance of recording stories. Um, but us providing more of an archive and like a home for these stories to be housed together because it's it's one thing for them to just be in different websites it's valuable in itself or them to be part of this huge archive like the library of congress for example Mm -hmm. but for us to provide this kind of framing uh under divided families and reunions i think that's kind of the glue that i discovered this past year um so I'm, i'm curious to hear what the podcast is meant for you or how that's changed for you too i I think that that sums up a lot of how i feel too in terms of i haven't really stepped back and taken the time to take in the 40 41 episodes um as a quote-unquote tapestry kaleidoscope (laughs) whatever we want to call it uh but i think that that was kind of the objective when we started out but we didn't know what it was going to look like when it was actually i mean it's not done but when we had a certain number because in the beginning we had you know a handful of episodes now that we have such a diverse range of voices that it is when you look back on it i don't know how many similar um tapestries you know like similar uh, archives there are out there like you have the u.s uh, holocaust memorial museum's archive and you have the smithsonian african-american museum's archive of their own respective stories but we don't have something that kind of brings everything together so i think that that um is a huge thing and i guess I don't want to repeat, I don't want to steal your answer. So I can come up with another answer, which would just be, since you talked about the larger kind of um, collage of episodes that I would kind of go into maybe the single episodes. I think that there were times um, where, you know, like there's always times when you get kind of tired and you say, I don't know if I want to like edit this episode or I don't know if I want to work on this one. I have to work on all these other things. Um, but I think that there are single episodes that have meant a lot to me, I think. And this is not to say that any episode is better than another episode. They're all incredibly meaningful. And I'm not just saying that like each conversation that I was able to have was incredibly meaningful. But for me, like, for example, the Teresa Lee episode kind of comes to mind where I had spent a lot like the summer at home and then I had just gone back to school and I was thinking about a lot of you know existential things and um it was nice to listen to that episode and uh just I don't know what it was about that episode but you know there are certain episodes that you listen to at a certain time in your life and it means a lot more in that sense and all of the episodes are about the same thing basically you know like not the same topic but the same theme of family and connection and things like that but I think that depending on where you are in your life it could hit differently right um so i think that 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 was one of them um i think that miki's episode about shusa and joe was also uh you know during a time when we were there were some protests about the comfort woman issue that we kind of released that episode so kind of just there you know there are different episodes that you associate with different times so i think that that was kind of i don't know if you have any of those episodes yeah on that note i mean i think timing is so important in that i think one reason why we decided to release episodes at a certain time or it might have been delayed like not immediately after we recorded it Mm. is because of the production schedule for sure but also because we thought they would be more meaningful if we released them um at a certain uh date for example Mm. like i remember in june our two episodes were with Deneen Brown on slavery, and then uh, with Hollis Gentry that I mentioned as part of our commemoration of Juneteenth. And I think, you know, Teresa Lee's episode on 9-11, I think, is another example. So I, I think we tried to be, I'm, I'm glad that we tried to be more intentional about 
the timing of these episodes. I, I guess we did this early on with you know COVID and Hong Kong as well, but mm-hmm. I think we were a bit more hands-on uh, or planned a bit further ahead this past year in doing that, and I'm glad we did. Yeah, and we'll be able to do a lot more planning with uh, season three because it won't be coming out <laughs> immediately at all. Um, so yeah, I think... Um, and I guess just in closing, we opened up questions on our Instagram uh, for any of you who've seen our Instagram story there, you know, because we have so many followers. We got a lot of questions. <laughs> we got one question, actually. Um, and it was uh, I, I think it was actually a really good question, though, because it made me reflect a little bit. But just in closing, um, our one question from an anonymous listener was, what's your favorite discovery related to the cause from this year? And uh, in my notes, I underlined this year because we've been talking about all the other years, but this specific year, um, did you find anything you know new? Hmm. Uh, I think it does tie back to what we were talking about at the beginning of decisions. Um, Everything but, comes uh, full circle on this podcast. Yeah, yeah exactly. But I, I do also just want to say, when you were talking about like timing your life, uh, I just wanted to say one more thing on that note, is that Maybe it's like this for you too with, for example, the Yonida, Yonida Kostache episode, like your former TA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, Nicole Chung, who I think you like picked up her book at the bookstore, right? Or was that EJ Ko? EJ Ko was the one that I picked up at the bookstore. And Nicole Chung, I think, I can't remember how I found it, but I think probably some adoptee friends or something. Or yeah, or, or Tyler yeah. Rivera, for example. So I, I think these, the point I want to, to make was about these personal connections we have to our guests which mm. i think you know to be sure a lot of our guests i think eugene and i have both done our fair share of cold emails yeah. uh, many of which have not been answered or uh we're still trying to get uh barack obama no, I'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah he's on the wait list yeah um, probably the other way around but uh but i think some of our episodes you know, I, I think for me, like Teresa Lee, who I met when I was a senior in high school, or Hannah Song, who was a big role model for me in college, I think just being able to draw from our personal networks and just our personal connections with our guests uh, that I think continue after these, like I end up friending you know, people like Steve Vito on Facebook. And, uh, yeah, and he, EJ he Co. followed me on uh, Instagram. <laughs> yeah, so I think just being able to build these connections, even if it's just from one conversation or, you know, from longstanding relationships, I think that's been a big part of just why I enjoy this project so much is being able to, you know, it's really an honor and a privilege to be able to have that kind of direct contact uh, which I know not everyone working on podcasts get to do. Yeah, I mean, we already talked about it in our first recap about Ken Liu, but slid into his DMs and surprisingly it worked. So um, I think that it, it is pretty cool that you can, you know, talk to these people. I mean, you know, if you have any follow-up questions or things like that, that they're accessible. Um, so is that your favorite discovery or do you have a different discovery? Oh, yeah, I guess that's not a... I guess the <laughs> sliding into people's DMs and cold emailing... I guess no, we learned that early on. We've been on, sliding into DMs for a long time. <laughs> um, I, I think... I don't know. I It's really complicated about decisions in that... I, I think we mentioned this in another recap, maybe with Carlos Air, but I've been thinking about it more and more of why some people may actually decide to separate themselves from their families or stay separated. 
or not want to reconnect with their family members. I think that's one discovery or just one reflection that I've had this past year, especially. And I think just on a personal level, I, I was involved this past summer with helping evacuate a group of, uh, of young people from Afghanistan. And yeah, some of them came with only their husbands or only their wives. Uh, but some of them just came by themselves uh, to the U.S., which many of them had never been to before. And they didn't know whether they would be, when they would be able to see their family back in Afghanistan again. And yeah, I think that just made me think about this issue that we're covering in a much more nuanced way, where at the beginning, I think I was very much more looking at it in a black and white kind of picture, like family separation, bad, family reunions, good. But I think I've, uh, I don't know, I'm starting to rethink. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's more of how the families are reunited or separated that's more important than you know, if they are reunited or separated. So mm -hmm. that is one discovery. Yeah, I think that there is a lot there too in terms of the reunion itself is important, but also sometimes just getting closure sometimes is important too. And I'm speaking, I'm saying this in terms of uh, I worked on asylum cases this past semester. And, you know, some families, like they are the persecution, <laughs> you know, like in the, in a foreign country, like the asylum seekers being persecuted by their family, like in a domestic violence situation, right? Like you could be persecuted by your own family, right? So sometimes just better understanding that like your family connection, even if you don't necessarily have to be or want to be reunited with them, like that kind of thing is also important. This is not from asylum cases, but just I'm thinking more broadly, like, like what if you don't want to be reunited with your family, still thinking about the separation and the roots and causes of that kind of situation are important too. Because maybe that is also related to asylum cases because we kind of have to, as advocates, you know, you try to create a narrative like why did this happen within this country and this culture, etc. But I think, yeah, like and to, to go off of it's not really black and white. I think that's something that I've thought about and I am thinking about in terms of um, and in the asylum system, you know, like not everybody can come through. We want everybody to come through and you know, live a better life here if they uh, want to. But, you know, sometimes like there's not enough spots and who decides that? And um, that kind of thinking is a little bit, um, yeah, something that I've been learning to wrestle uh, more with. And I guess recently we saw that I shared that in our Divided Families team chat about uh, the U.S. government should pay for the, you know, consequences of family separation at the Mexico border. And it's like, who should pay? Like, how should they pay? Uh, reparations kinds of um, conversations are also interesting. But in terms of, yeah, this I like this question because I actually started to research for my law school journal. We have to do a little research project. So I started researching family separation issues. Um, I changed my topic like multiple times, so I'm not really close to finishing anything. But just doing the preliminary research, it was really gratifying to see that there are actually a lot of articles that are new and also still coming. So I've changed my topic and I'm going to be doing some more research this break. But one of the papers that just came out, it was like, I was talking to somebody, a professor about, do you know about any, you know, family separation rights, etc. Like a right to be with your family as a kind of like a constitutional right. And he said, oh yeah, this article just came out. And I'm like, I'm, I'm going to, I wanted to write that. <laughs> it's too late. Um, so there are, yeah, there's a lot of literature coming out and people are thinking about it. And to make that more specific, so it's not just nerd talk and more accessible. I just wanted to say that Maybe my favorite discovery was this article that I shared with you, I think, and the rest of our team about the 13th, using the 13th Amendment to uh, advocate for family separation at the U.S. 
or family like reunification at the mexico border because uh the 13th amendment there's one like you're not allowed to do an incident of slavery and an incident of slavery he characterized as family separation which was we talked about that in with denine brown and she's also cited in that article which was a nice discovery too but i thought that that was really interesting because he the author and i think i I can't remember his name and i would like to interview him for season three if we can get him but it was interesting because you know he says i don't want to compare slavery to uh, the mexico border family separation like just the act of comparing can be suspect by some people but he says like i'm not trying to make light of that situation but he says i think that this could help you know gain political support if we use like this you know slavery which is supposed to supposed to be over um as kind of a rallying call to say we shouldn't do incidents of slavery i guess you know family separation so that was a very interesting discovery will that argument work like in real life maybe not but just the idea of it and the fact that people are talking about that is hopeful i think and yeah that was my favorite discovery but lots of articles that's a great and you're talking about how uh, it seems like family this issue is uh all becoming all consuming into your (laughs) studies as well uh well it's like yeah it's my independent research so i get to do what i want there um uh but i think all consuming i don't know if it's all consuming but (laughs) yeah i think that it's been as you said, it's been getting more complicated as you learn more, right? Um, in yeah. terms of, yeah. I, th- I think, you know, I, I, I think what you just said as well is a great example of where I think one thing we definitely want to avoid, I definitely want to avoid is just saying that all these issues are like on equal footing or just like conflating mm-hmm. all these different issues that we're covering because by no means are we providing enough nuance and context uh, to each issue Uh, Mm -hmm. and you know there's but i think one reflection i have is that there's no like hierarchy or uh there's no yeah there's no hierarchy of uh i was gonna say like suffering like (laughs) yeah oppression suffering in that i guess maybe some forms of family separation are uh temporary and you know that you can see someone else again um Mm -hmm. or maybe you're just um yeah maybe you still have contact uh with that person through uh whatsapp or something or zoom um Mm -hmm. so in that ways i guess guess there can be uh like a a ranking of um a family separation or the pain that's caused by it but i i guess when it comes to the emotional aspect i think it's difficult to say you know this person has suffered more under family separation than someone else so yeah, that that just made me think of it. What we're what we're doing is very paradoxical, right? It's because by calling it the Divided Families podcast and having one, you know, one, not a one-stop shop, but like a one platform for uh all of these different stories. Like in some sense we are kind of implicitly saying that they're related and similar, right? But we're also trying to say they're not actually all the same either, and that's kind of a difficult balancing act, but I think people understand that i think yeah. i think that maybe that's know something that. we'll really name and try to explore more in in the next season too actually mm-hmm. and, and trying to, yeah yeah and i guess my last point on that was yeah it's, it's kind of there's also it's really difficult to make a hierarchy when there are also people who are biracial tri-racial adoptees right like what what suffering are you connected to is a difficult question too right like yeah. if you are connected to multiple streams um and i think at the end of the day if you can as a listener uh this inspires you these episodes inspire you to think more about 
how you are connected to your family history and history in general, I guess. Like I said, everything comes full circle. So connected to your history, but also that tells you about today because a lot of things are happening today, like uh, the Afghanistan situation that you were just talking about. So I think just, I don't know, as long as we're able to kind of inspire people to think about these things and to talk about them. And if it helps you map your own life, then I think that's... uh, all we really kind of wanted out of it in the first place right yeah i can't think of a better note to end on than that honestly in terms of the takeaway we want to leave with our listeners the immaculate conception (laughs) part two (laughs) yeah and i mean yeah just another discover i'm more of a not a epiphany but more of something that's more on my mind is just how valuable our time is like our free time especially for those of us who are i mean both students and working yeah, people yeah. are probably like, these people are boomers. <laughs> They're so <Yeah>. old. <laughs> even though I guess there are like listeners who are much older than we are. So maybe we shouldn't say that. <laughs> yeah, but even just to those of you, you know, even if you didn't directly work on the podcast, those of you who are listening, I know there are many other podcasts out there, but you are listening to this one. So yeah. <laughs> for that, we appreciate you. <laughs> All right, we can... Uh... That, that's a good that's a better ending point um thank you for everybody who's listened and uh please check out our fundraiser if you have the time rate comment or did i say rate comment and subscribe that makes more sense that i guess than like that makes more sense than like comment and subscribe um but see you guys in actually i don't know when 2023 hopefully we'll see anyway to be continued <laughs>